check. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of RX Radio. I'm your host, Richard Waithe, and I have in my presence here with me uh, a very special pharmacist that I'm excited to kind of get into and talk to about. Um, the episode is going to be around, uh, you know, his career and finances. Um, we're going to dive into Tim Church. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here, Richard. On the show, not only on the show, but also in your house yeah. and in the studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're at a my fiance and I joke around. We call this the Sunroom Studios. Um, so if we're luckily we're gonna have some video of this, uh, so people can see. It's just kind of like kind of windows and some sun out in Miami and beautiful place to record. Yeah, yeah. So um, excited to jump in here. We're gonna talk today about uh, we're gonna get into three tips about finances, specifically for pharmacists, probably anybody, but really for pharmacists that you're probably not gonna be able to find easily on the internet. That, that's going to be the premise. But before we get into all that, I want the listeners to like hear a little bit about you. Let's talk about you, your background, and kind of how you got to where you're at in your journey. Yeah, so I grew up in Ohio, small town, northeast tip, and went to Walsh University for my undergraduate, which is in Canton, Ohio, where the Pro Football Hall of Fame is. It's the only way people, most people know where that is. And uh, I went to pharmacy school at Northeast Ohio Medical University and was in the first graduating class. So that's the home of the walking whales in Rootstown, Ohio, where there's nice. not much uh, going on there, but definitely a great experience uh, of being a part of the pioneers in that first class. And then basically when I graduated, I said, you know what? I had enough of the snow, enough of the cold. And I said, I'm going to take my talents down to Palm Beach. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> And so what, what brought me down this way is I did a one-year residency at the West Palm Beach VA Medical Center, and it was primarily focused in ambulatory care, um, but really a, a lot of great experiences for pharmacists that they had at, at VA in general, but this specific facility, and just a great opportunity to, to serve veterans, which was something that I was really interested in doing. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. So what, what, was, the, uh, what was the residency uh, in so was it was just a kind of a, yeah, okay. it was just a general residency, but definitely the opportunities at the hospital were more focused on ambulatory care. So a lot of a primary care setting, a lot of rotations there. Also had very strong in cardiology, but then there were some inpatient and critical care experiences as well. Cool, nice, nice. So post residency, what was it? Sound I think you stayed right in the area. Yeah, I mean, what what happened was is when I moved from Ohio temporarily, I'm like, you know what, I got. Nothing holding me back in Ohio, other other than my parents. You know, they're they're hanging out <laughs> Those there. Special in the cold. people, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just a great opportunity that I had at the hospital, and I really liked South Florida and the opportunity to be outside all day, most days out of the year, being able to go out on the water, do some fishing, do some snorkeling. It was mm -hmm. just a cool opportunity, and I was very fortunate that they had a position. Not only did they have a position, but something that I really wanted to do, which was ambulatory care, primary care. And that really was just, I felt like I hit the jackpot because it was exactly what I was looking for, what my interests were in, and it really just popped up. And so it aligned nicely as I was finishing my PGY-1 that I kind of moved right into that position. Yeah. That's awesome. So what are you doing now? Like, what's your day-to-day -day like now um, at the VA? Uh, so most days I run a primary care clinic. And what, how it's set up is I have about 
eight to 10 patients face to face. And then I have about another 10 patients or so uh, for phone calls that we do follow up. So most of these patients are being referred by the primary care physicians, nurse practitioners and physicians assistants, or other people in the hospital that feel like we could really help benefit the patient. But basically the patients are being referred to me primarily for diabetes management. So at our hospital, we actually do the majority of the diabetes management, and we have some endocrinologists that also provide some support as well, but we do a lot of that. And then a lot of other patients will come for uh, hypertension management and then other chronic diseases or just general medication reviews. So I think we're really positioned well and an opportunity to provide support to the other primary care teams and really just optimize these patients' regimens. So one of the things that's really cool about my position and, and which is what drew me to the VA is that I actually operate under a scope of practice, so I have full prescriptive authority. Mm. So other than controlled substance, which I'm not really interested in doing anyway, that I can prescribe kind of within that scope and then also order lab tests and things like that. That's awesome. I mean, talk. About, I feel like that's kind of what a lot of us expected to get out of, you know, from pharmacy school. Um, that's what we're trained for, really. So it's pretty cool to hear that you're kind of able to practice what it sounds like you're practicing at a pretty high level for, um, for our degree. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a great experience. And, and I'll admit, initially, it was very frightening, gave me a lot of anxiety, because <laughs> when we're in school, we're going through those rotations. It's like you're always getting that sign off, that extra check. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, really, the, the responsibility is put on you. You have a lot of autonomy. So as long as you're, you're proving that you're able to manage these patients effectively, really, you can build really great relationships with the other providers. Yeah. So I always say that, you know, obviously, usually residencies are, you know, are helpful. Sometimes people can't do it for economical reasons. Sometimes they can't, you know, they just don't, you know, match, you know, things like that happen. But would you say that your residency really was valuable and really kind of prepared you for your particular role? Do you think there could have been more? Do you think you could have kind of jumped in to on-the-job training? Like, wh- where did residency maybe play a role there, if you can? There's no question that I wouldn't have been able to take my position without the residency. There's no way I could have stepped out of graduation and then the next day go into the role. But the, and, the, and the main reason for that is all of the nuances and the different types of patients that you're going to see you can't get that from a textbook and even from your short appy experiences that you have. You really have to get a number of looks, a number of perspectives, and that's really where the preceptors really help guide and help you make better clinical decisions as you're approaching patient care. So I definitely do not think I could be where I am today without the residency. Now, even with the PGY-1 in place, I still felt like it was a difficult transition to really take ownership where at the end of the day, you're signing for prescriptions. If anything happens to the patients as a result of what you do, you know that is on you. You have to take that responsibility. So even that transition after residency and working as, an, as basically like an independent practitioner did take a little bit of time in terms of just feeling very comfortable and feeling like I, I, I could confidently manage the number of patients that I, that I had. Yeah. What's interesting about that is I feel like no matter how much especially in a clinical setting, no matter how much training you have, that initial transition, you feel like you're never ready. I, I, personally, I feel that way. I mean, I'm sure there's a, probably an X amount of training that you could have to get you there. But I feel like in general, whether you've done a residency or you're kind of jumping right out of school, I feel like 
the more obviously training you have that makes you more prepared. But in terms of your internal feeling, you just never will feel ready. Like until you just actually jump in there and just kind of like do it. And there were times in the beginning where I had trouble sleeping. You know, yeah. I really had trouble sleeping because I because of the decisions that I made with medication adjustments, new medications or discontinuing medications that I was going to cause harm to the patient. And that was really, really difficult for me at first. But, you know, one of the things you have to realize is that no matter how diligent you are and how prepared you are um, and how um, how much you you're taking care to detail when you're making these decisions and, and changing, there's things that are going to go bad. There's things that are going to happen. Patients are going to end up in the emergency room. They're going to end up with some adverse reaction that you didn't anticipate for. Um, you just have to know how to handle that when it comes up, but just acknowledge that, you know, things are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So we got to know you a little bit. I want to jump into kind of uh, kind of finances. And so you're part of your financial pharmacist, um, YFP uh, for short. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. You know, kind of what are you guys doing? Um, how did you get there? Give us like the backstory of YFP. Sure. So your financial pharmacist, our main mission is to help pharmacists achieve financial freedom. And we do that through a number of ways. One is our, our weekly podcast. Uh, we do that through our, our blog and some of the other free resources that we have. And then we also offer comprehensive financial planning services. So basically, if you look back to the genesis of, of YFP, your financial pharmacist, is back in 2015, Tim Albrick, who was my professor at Northeast Ohio Medical University, he really felt like he was unprepared for his finances coming out of graduation. He felt prepared as a pharmacist, but not really what to do to best tackle his student loans and all the other aspects of, of his personal finance. So he started a blog in 2015 just to help other pharmacists kind of get better prepared. And along that process, as he was doing that, I was working on my own personal finance journey, just trying to understand and get more clarity as to what the best steps to take were with my loans and with other things. And I just developed a really strong passion and interest in this. And I saw the work that he was doing and we kept in touch. And basically I reached out to him and I said, hey, would you be interested in writing a personal finance book specifically for pharmacists? We really think that there's an opportunity there to, to fill a void that, that's really needed. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the, the, the first initial steps um, of how the business went. And the book was almost like a side project because at that point it really wasn't part of your financial pharmacist. We didn't really have a business at that point other than some of the speaking that, that Tim Albrick was doing. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So, um, one thing, so it's cool. So they can follow you on which uh, social media platforms is YFP on? It's on like there's an Instagram, right? Yep, right. Facebook. Yep. But then the podcast is is big, right? Where you right. guys are having a lot of good content yep. there. That's probably where, where we have a, a lot of our followers and downloads and then we also like you said we have a facebook group as well oh, okay where we get a lot of engagement um but w one of the things that that's been interesting as we've kind of moved forward with the business so at the same time that the the book was going on and and we were growing the blog so another tim came into play tim baker so this is so if you're confused already there, there's three tims there's three that are part of this tims, man. part of this business <laughs> <laughs> But Tim Baker, he's a he's a financial planner out in Baltimore, Maryland, and he actually met the other Tim Albrick, and they were the ones that started the podcast. And then 
basically over the course of time, we all decided that we need to move together because we're, we're, we have the same mission and we're trying to really provide a lot of great education um, and resources for pharmacists when it comes to their finances. So that's kind of how we've progressed forward and kind of where we're going. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So um, one thing and where I feel like the real value is going to come out of this episode is uh, I want to go through, I want to give the listeners three tips that they're not going to be able to find about their finances that they're really just going to be very difficult for them to find on an easy search on Google. So okay. what that's would my be... Cha- that's my challenge today. Yeah, that's, that's a challenge. <laughs> so what would be the... Uh, what's the first tip that you would uh, you would give them? So I think the first tip is you have to have a student loan plan in place, but you have to be very tactical about what that plan is. And, and I'll, I'll talk you just through just a couple details about what I'm talking about. When I graduated, I thought the best way to pay off student loans was pay them off as fast as possible, which results in the least amount of interest paid. And that works for some people, but the reality was is I've been working for the government for almost 10 years now, and I could have paid a significantly less amount of money over the time if I would have stuck with the public service loan forgiveness program. So by not doing that actually cost me over about $100,000, which is crazy. So when you're talking about these big number loans, you have to figure out what is going to be the best strategy for you. There is no strategy that's going to work for everybody that's graduating, and there's some that are that are better than others. But if you look at the public service loan forgiveness, so PSLF, you can't argue with the math behind it. If you're eligible and you follow all of the steps, having all of the amount that's forgiven tax-free, you really can't beat that. But here I'll give you the, the, the nugget, where, which I think, Richard, is really key. At the same time that you're in the PSLF program, you can actually maximize your retirement savings and lower your student loan payment simultaneously. Hmm. So the way that you do that is the payments that are made through that program are on an income-driven repayment plan. And the way they do that is they calculate it based on your discretionary income. And part of that is based off your adjusted gross income. So if you lower your adjusted gross income, you actually will pay less in student loans over the course of those 10 years. Well, if you cap out a traditional 401k, 403b, TSP, you're actually driving down your student loan payment while at the same time growing your nest egg and growing your wealth. So really, that's a a cool feature of how the program is set up and allows you to do that. Yeah, yeah. So you threw out a lot of complicated financial terms there. (laughs) Uh, So for people that want to read a little bit more about that, you said that there is a blog, right? In fact, that they can go learn about these things. Yeah, and we have a post. It's called, like the I I believe it's called The Ultimate Guide to Pay Back Your Student Loans or Pay Back Your Pharmacy School Loans. So we kind of detail out all of the different things to consider as you're going through. But like the, the key thing I want people to walk away with on this, Richard, is that you really want to explore all of the opportunities that are available to you. Now, whether that is a forgiveness program, whether that's a tuition reimbursement program through a federal employer or even uh, through one of the state programs that are out there, that you really want to capitalize on those so you're saving the most money over time, but also optimizing any retirement accounts simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. Um, any other specifics around a plan that you could offer? Uh, I think you just have to be very intentional behind it. Okay. Uh, one of the one of the key mistakes that Tim Albrecht made, and, he, and he'll talk about this all the time, is he kept his loans in the in the federal system for the whole time that he was paying them off, and he paid I think 
I think he had like six or 7% interest, something like that. But the fact that he wasn't in a forgiveness program, he could have refinanced his loans once, maybe even more times and paid a lot less interest. So really you have to, it's not, it's an ongoing process. It's not just you pick one plan and you're going to stick with it. Sometimes that works, but you have to keep reassessing your situation and figure out if there's ways how you can continue to either get rid of your loans faster or just save more money over the course of the loan. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, what is the, what's the second thing that they're really not going to find anywhere else? Most likely, except for listening in right here, right now. (laughs) I think you'll find this topic talked about, but not always is it talked about in terms of how you get a strategy in place to make it work uh, as a, as an ongoing thing. So the, the, the tip I'm talking about is really getting a strategy in place to overcome lifestyle creep. So basically, in a nutshell, lifestyle creep is as you get more income and as you're paid more, you're going to consume up to that level or even beyond that level. And, and this is a kind of a, a rule that's talked about um, in other regards where you're going to consume whatever you whatever's put in front of you, basically. Yeah. And so I think it's very natural tendency to do that, that as you go from a student or a resident to making a six-figure salary, that you're going to start to increase that lifestyle. I mean, that makes sense, right? And so your purchases may go up, the types of restaurants you go to, the types of vacations, and that's all great. And I think people should do those things. But you also want to keep in mind is, are you doing things that are promoting your net worth? That either that's through savings or paying off debt. Because ultimately, that should be one of the things on your radar is, are you making decisions? Are you doing things that are growing your net worth over time? And so one of the things is, what can you actually do to protect yourself from yourself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, that, and that's the whole thing about lifestyle creep. But one of the things that, that I always love to see is that regardless of whether it's saving or paying off debt, is that if you make those things automatic, where you don't actually realize the money. So whether it's through your employer payroll deduction or through another outside service, that they're actually extracting money from your paycheck before you actually get to feel it. Mm -hmm. And not only that, I think that's important, but as you get raises over time, that you can also simultaneously, as you're getting raises, is increase those contributions going out to savings, investing, or paying off debt so that you don't really see a huge increase in your uh, monthly cash flow that you're that that you have access to because unfortunately not everybody is that disciplined when it comes to money and and I'll be the first to admit that it's tough like when you see something you want to spend it or like I've seen this in other books with psychology and things or when it comes to food like if your plate is full of food you're going to eat whatever is on the plate right yeah, yeah. that makes sense i wonder too if like you know I just kind of think back to my own personal journey of kind of going through pharmacy school. And I remember like a large motivation for me was like, I wanted like a really nice car, you know, like that was like my thing. Like, I I think it was like, I don't know, I think it was like an M6 or something I really wanted, like, which is like a hundred thousand dollar (laughs) car. And, um, but if it's kind of you weren't driving that today though. No, definitely not. No, I got an old, it's funny. Then this is going to kind of play into the story, (laughs) but I have an old 2004, uh, Nissan frontier pickup. Like that's my main, my main car. And, um, it's just funny how things kind of change as you uh, grow and as you, you know, that your priorities start to change and you start to realize that one, you can't just afford a hundred thousand dollar car on a pharmacist salary because you got all this other stuff. 
but then you just your priorities start to change. You know, you start to think about what really you know makes you happy in life, and um, and that shifts. And you could almost uh, I don't know if there's an an opposite term of um, what was it creep uh, lifestyle, lifestyle creep? creep. If it's like like a re- inverse of that, where it's like as you start to make more money, you actually start to realize like all the stuff you really don't want or need or that's not important. Yeah. So you could potentially go the other way. So, but that's interesting. So, um, all right. So, so having a plan, uh, preventing lifestyle creep, what is another piece of advice that you'd be able to give? So I think another key tip, especially for pharmacists is that if you, if you look out there in terms of what our salary is, that a lot of places they talk about how, oh, we make a great salary, a great income. And, and that's true, but it's relatively flat over time. And that's the trajectory for, for most pharmacists. I'm not saying everybody, but hopefully your income will increase with inflation year to year or keep up with cost of living. But sometimes it doesn't even do that. So one of the tips and, and things that I always like to talk about is that even though your salary, wherever you're working, may be relatively fixed and you can't increase that through extra hours is to always consider other opportunities for additional income streams. Because I think pharmacists, you know, just historically, we always feel like it's a pretty secure, pretty stable job. Although I think it is changing a little bit, especially in the community setting where, you know, that may not always be the case that it's that stable or that consistent. So I think it's always great to have additional ways that you're generating income so you're not relying on that one source. And you know, when I talk about a lot of people who come on the podcast and we talk about the side hustle series, it's really cool to hear like how many different things that other pharmacists are doing. Now, some of them are doing things that are pharmacy related, which makes sense. So one of my friends, Brandon Dyson, he's the co-founder of TLDR Pharmacy. He actually is teaching a course remotely for nursing school uh, that's across the country, and he's doing that a couple times a year and getting paid, I think he said like $12,000 a year, Mm -hmm. which it didn't even require that much extra effort, and he's just doing the same course over and over. So it's a really cool extra way that he's bringing in income. He's not relying on his full source. So I think that's one of the cool things. So I think that you should always just be on the lookout for those opportunities to either use your pharmacy skills or monetize a non-pharmacy skill. One of the things that I've picked up just working through YFP is is basic web design. And I've been able to um, make a little bit of extra money from doing that for people. And that's something that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's cool, especially if, you ha- if you're passionate about something, just because it, it makes you happy doesn't mean it can't also provide um, additional income stream. Yeah. And I think with so many, with the way social media is now and and the way the internet works now, like you can literally make money, like extra money. Sometimes even you can replace your income potentially if you're doing something that you're passionate about. So Yeah. And I think the key is, is that you should go in it with the mentality and the mindset of like, you know, what are the problems out there that I can provide solutions for and how can I serve people? So one of the, one of my favorite books is called The Go-Giver by a guy named Bob Berg. And one of the, he talks about in this book a lot of different laws. And one of the laws is, I think it's called the law of compensation, which basically says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. And so I think that's a cool way to kind of keep that in the back of your mind is that not always how can I make more money, but what are some opportunities where I can help other people? And that may be through some of the skills and things that I already know how to do. Mm-hmm. Like I'm wondering about Brandon's story, um, which I, if you're listening, man, I need to get you on this podcast. But I'm gonna try <laughs> to find him at some point. 
Um, I'm wondering about his story. Like, I'm wondering, you know, getting to a point where you're teaching like that. Um, you know, because a lot of times, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, you might know the story better, but uh, it sounds like he might have kind of built like a name for himself um, as being kind of an expert in pharmacy, let's say, and then all of a sudden found that opportunity, but was able to establish his worth being it, it being a remote position based off of his branding previously. Is that kind of where kind of the road he I, went I, down? I, or? I believe so. I don't, I don't remember the initial relationship in terms of how he built that. But I know that that obviously they've invited him back. I don't know how many. I know it's like it's multiple years now that he's been doing this. So mm-hmm. obviously he's been doing a good job. They've invited him back to continue to do it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's like like you said. I think establishing some kind of relationship and just demonstrating your skills um, in that way is huge. Yeah. And I think I know. The, I mean, the, any personal example I know is, um, and I've had him on all the time. But like Mike Corvino. So he's. Um, he's doing the core console podcast. He's also teaching. He has like four or five jobs. I don't know how many jobs this guy has, <laughs> but he's also teaching at a, um, at a PA school now. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of his brand building led towards that. Obviously he's, he's, you know, he's been working towards becoming a, a certified clinician and I think he's board certified and everything like that. But, but I think a lot of that came off the back of like that. He wasn't initially, you know, like it was his side hustle, while a lot of times people think a side hustle has to generate income, his side hustle was really just make, building a brand for himself, mm-hmm. which then led to like opportunities that can actually make you um, some some extra income down the line. So um, it's interesting to think that you know when you're thinking of a side hustle, um, it doesn't always have to be something that's immediately transactionally generating capital or revenue, um, but it's building towards something better where a door will open where you can actually see some significant revenue stream come through. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I mean, if you look at most like blogs and podcasts and things like that, I mean, there's sp- people spend years, you know, growing brands and, and, and delivering content and doing those things before monetization even, com- even comes into play. So mm-hmm. I think there's a combination of many things out there that you can do kind of today that you could see some some easy uh, additional revenue streams, but then even some longer term plays. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, um, the last thing I, I have two other things I want to cover. Um, the book. What's the book about? The uh, what is it called again? The seven figure so pharmacist. Seven figure pharmacist. Yeah. Okay. So so Tim Albrick and I wrote wrote that together back in well we wrote it in 2016. It came out in 2017. So okay. it's it's about two years out now but basically it's it's pretty comprehensive talking about some of the specifics uh challenges and things that pharmacists are going to face with their finances as they get ready to graduate um but then we we cover pretty much almost all the the major topics from you know how do you protect your income how do you pay off debt and then just some very invest uh basics on investing um so so we definitely cover uh, quite a bit in that book Good, good. Okay. And I'll definitely, all the stuff that we talked about, I'm going to link it up into the show notes so people can have uh, access to that easily and they're not scrambling while they're driving or running or however it is that you guys are listening to this. Uh, Last thing I wanted to finish off on is if you had to take one person out to dinner that has to be alive and has to be famous or have a Wikipedia page, so people have to be able to know who they are, Okay. who would that be and why? So it's interesting. So I kind of cheated because I heard that this was on another episode that I listened to. <laughs> Thank but, you for that. But, I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I thought about this a lot and there, there's a number of names that came to mind, but one of them that, that kind of interests me is a guy named Pat Flynn. So Pat Flynn is the, the creator of a blog podcast called Smart Passive Income. Okay. But one of the things I've always admired about him is that 
to me, he, he sells a lot of different products and services, but he always does it in a way that is providing extreme value to people. So it's almost like he, he's not even selling. And, and I always felt that, that the way he's providing business is and doing business is just very genuine and authentic. So I think it would just be cool to just sit down with him and understand, you know, kind of his perspective and how he approaches. But because I, I do think he, he does, he's changed a lot of people's lives, just not only with helping them with their businesses, but I think just getting their um, ideas and emotions around a whole um, business and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Cool. Well, I appreciate you tuning in to know that this answer, this question was coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and how can people best connect back with you if they wanted to stay connected? Sure. So you can check us out on the on our website at yourfinancialpharmacist.com. Um, you can reach out to me at timchurchfarmd at gmail.com. Um, and you can check us out on all the social media platforms that you mentioned earlier. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, first of all, thank you so much uh, for being a listener, for being a subscriber and taking in all the content that we're putting out. And, uh, you know, if you haven't subscribed yet, definitely make sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on any of your favorite social media platforms, um, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, we're on all those. And until next time, see you over the counter. Pharmacy.